If you have a Bible here tonight, turn with me uh, to the book of 1 Samuel, and let's go to chapters 2 and 3. Now, there's a variety of teachings in the two chapters. We want to look at the prayer. It's called uh, the Magnificent, uh, that's found in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. Mary, the mother of Jesus, basically made the same type of prayer. And so we're going to see the prayer by Hannah. Uh, We're going to see Eli's sons, and they're evil. And then Samuel's ministry begins, even as a youngster. And so we have a lot to cover here. And we begin with Hannah's prayer. And, And as we get into the prayer, it's very poetic in a sense. And she draws from it. And she just, you know, is engulfed with the presence of God. That's the best I can tell you. In verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted, lifted up unto the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, when you look at typologies, and I have a book that's specifically on the typologies of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and when you come to the word horn, It's very interesting. In typology, it describes power, it describes honor, and it describes strength. It all depends on what uh, situation you're speaking of. And so here, Hannah is honored uh, to be a mother. She's honored that God heard her prayer, and she's going to have this child. And we know it's Samuel. She's giving thanks unto the Lord. God had turned her around. She wanted a child because she was a Jewish woman. But she never looked to why she wanted a child. God revealed that to her. I want that child. And until she was able and willing to relinquish the child, the child did not come. And once God had spoken to her, and she realized that that child she wanted so bad was going to be the first prophet In Israel. And so God takes uh, Samuel. But I want you to see something. Her heart rejoices in the Lord. I think we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. Listen, when he answers our prayer, when he doesn't answer our prayer. Always give thanksgiving to the Lord. Notice this portion here uh, close to the bottom. I smile at my enemies. She's looking at Penina. And she's not wanting to throw any digs, but she's smiling at her. She bullied her, as we saw back in chapter 1. But look at verse 2 now. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Giving God all the glory. She's rejoicing. She's so excited about answered prayer. The Bible teaches in the New Testament that Jesus is my rock. And here, she speaks of the rock like our God. Notice that she continues, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. There is no other that's holy. In a sense, she's rebuking herself. Because she doubted God. 
And yet God gave her a man-child. But there is no other holiness but the Lord. It took Hannah time uh, to conform to what God wanted. I think it's important uh, that we understand Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, especially verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the power of God's Spirit. And now be conformed unto God. Lord, what is it that you want from me? I want a child. That's what Hannah kept praying. The Bible says she prayed for a year. We don't know how long. And she went through the, the torments from Penana, the one that Elkanah, her husband, had married. And so she kept boasting, look at I have children, you don't have children. And so now she's rejoicing. And notice she says about the Lord, uh, in verse 4, the bows of the mighty men are broken by God, obviously. And those who stumble are girded with strength. The greatest and the greatest of armies and the greatest of weapons do not compare uh, to the power and to the strength of God. All the impossibilities were vanished. And she had a man-child. Again, let's look at uh, Sarah and Abraham. All the advantages of human nature and the human body were exhausted. Even they laughed that they were going to have a child at such an older age, obviously. And so God has blessed now. And it's the army of God, not of man. Notice verse 5. Those who were full have hired themselves out of bread. And the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren have borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. Uh, listen to the poetic gestures here. The full are hungry now. The starving are now full. Moms with no kids have up to seven kids. The other moms with many uh, kids wasted away. God had blessed Hannah. And we're going to see she's going to have more children. But God wanted that first child. That first child was to be Samuel. That first child uh, was to be the prophet of Israel. Hannah's grateful. And ladies, I want you to prepare for this. She would go to Shiloh once a year to visit her son. Once a year. You know, Mary and I struggle because we don't get to California that often. And even when we do, we see our grandchildren just for a short time. We see our two daughters just for a short time. Now, we make often trips as much as possible up to Albuquerque. And so we see two more kids and we see uh, three more grandchildren. But it, it's tough when they're not around the corner. And yet it's good because they're not asking us to babysit every weekend. I hope they didn't hear this. <laughs> but be grateful in what God does for you. Be grateful when the answer is no. I hate that and you hate that. Because God knows best. Don't we pray God's will? And so finally a man-child came forth. Look at verse 6 and 7. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. Uh, these two verses, again, li listen to the uh, poetic sounds, how she's being so thankful. In, in speaking of life, I want you to write down Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. 
he takes down and he lifts up. In, in Psalm 75, it says, Promotion does not come from the east, the west, or the south, but God is judge. He puts one down and he lifts another one up. He literally put Penina down, and yet he lifted up Hannah. Now, he wasn't against Penina, but now it was time for Hannah uh, to have her just time. Notice in verse 7, he chooses the rich and the poor. He lifts up, he takes down. And so many times when, you know, maybe you're not as rich as, or, or as well off because we're all rich in Christ. But you're looking at the guy down the street and, you know, he's got that perfect job or that perfect business. And, you know, they have things and you don't have a lot of things. But you have eternity. Does he have eternity? And if they do have eternity, what's it to you? Hasn't God blessed us? And see, Hannah didn't know this until later. She just kept looking at Penina, and Penina kept driving it home, and she kept crying out to God, I need a child. Finally, when God saw her will relinquished and given over back to God's will, and then he, was, he gave her a child. Verse 8 says, he raises up the poor from the dust, and he lifts the beggar uh, from the ash heap to set them uh, among the princes and make them inheritant, to inherit, that is, uh, the throne of glory. And here's another poetic gesture, very strong here. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord, and he has set the world upon them. And so God is the one that lifts up the poor out of the dust. That was us. We were poor in spirit. And he lifts the beggar from the trash heap. He took us out, some of us, from uh, our lifestyles in the world that were nothing but trash. And he sets them in the midst of royalty. I'm rich in Christ Jesus. He is my inheritance. I don't care what the guy down the street has. I have eternal life. You have eternal life. But so many times we're geared. And we want to be like the world. And we want to have things like the world. And be content with the things that God has given you. And I'll tell you what. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed nation. And unless you've gone to third world countries, we really don't know what poor is. And if we go beyond what is, we would definitely see uh, the poor. If we, if we go into some of the colonias, then you will definitely uh, see the poor. Every time winter comes, I think of those and what is that don't have air conditioning. If anything, they might have a makeshift fan. And then I think during the, the winter, you know how cold it can get here. And sometimes we're down to uh, the teens, and we're sometimes down uh, even below that. And it gets cold. Well, it gets cold at what is. And they have, some people have cardboard, you know, homes. And they have dirt floors. And, and they might have a heater. And that's for the whole family. And so look what God's given us. Look how, how much we have in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go back to this portion of verse 8. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. It, it sounds like, you know, that old adage, uh, I think there's a doctrine somebody has, uh, that the earth was held up by four elephants, uh, by their tails. And here's another situation. The earth is held up by the pillars, these giant, massive pillars. 
Uh, mark the verse down, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. All things are held up by him. All things consist by him. When God created, he placed everything in perfection. That's divine purpose. That's divine ordinance of God. Think about that. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of his saints, of his people. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. God protects his own. The wicked are going to be cast into hell unless they repent. That's the darkness spoken of. Man's strength. Man's wisdom. I mean, the most brilliant of brilliant people. I mean, so you can, uh, you know, figure out all the equations. But if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, you're doomed. And usually the, the very intelligent don't want to believe in God. There is no God. Well, one day they will find out. Notice how Hannah's prayer is so precious. In verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven, he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. All of God's enemies will fail. Oh, many times they think uh, they have won. Or many times they think they're winning. Uh, Satan thinks he had won at the cross, but he's already been defeated. Judgment will come from above. He judges from the ends of the world. There's no hiding place. He lifts up the kings. He lifts up the honor of his called ones, his anointed ones. Hannah was called of the Lord. Hannah was anointed of the Lord. So if God has his hand upon Hannah, you don't think he has his hand upon us? If he's concerned about a sparrow when he falls out of a tree, how much more is he concerned about you and I? Notice now, verse 11. Uh, then Elkanah went uh, to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Samuel has been weaned. We shared last week about two or three years old. And he's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. He was prepared uh, to worship of the Lord. Again, what a beautiful prayer uh, that we read here uh, about Hannah. And again, you need to go back and, and to parallel Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 uh, to 55. Uh, the Magnificent, it's called. And, and such a beautiful place now. Now, we're going to speak just about the wickedness of Eli's sons. These were Levites. These were priests. Uh, if you were with us through Exodus and Leviticus, these guys had a portion and a place in the inheritance of God. They were to do the work of the Lord. They weren't given lands, but God took care of them. And they were to serve the Lord. There was many capacities uh, that they were called to do. But when you speak about Eli the priest, he's the high priest, and you speak about his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were also to minister unto the Lord. Uh, they had a high calling as, as Eli the priest had. And God has to rebuke them. Look at verses 12 
uh, and 13. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. If you have a King James, uh, the word Belial is used. And the word Belial obviously speaks about Satan. Uh, they did not know the Lord. There is the key. And, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, uh, the priest's servants, and this would be the sons, uh, would come with a, a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and then he would thrust it into the pan or to the kettle or to the cauldron or to the pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. And so they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites who came there. Uh, that, that's fair. Take this three-pronged hook, and as the meat's being boiled, the meat's in the cauldron, uh, don't be looking for the best you know, piece of meat. Just stick it in there. And what God gives you, that's yours. You're going to see something. These guys were very particular. And if you didn't give them the choice meats, they uh, took it over from you because they ran the show. Now, Eli the priest is dad. He's not only the high priest, but he's their father. He has parenting skills that were not being applied. We're all called to discipline and, and to, you know, take care of our children. It's part of scripture. And so just because you're in ministry, just because you're a high priest or you're a son of the high priest, doesn't mean you're saved. These guys did not have a relationship with the Lord. Eli the priest, I believe, had a relationship, but it was very shallow. Look at verse 15. Also, before the, the burnt, the burned the fat, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant uh, would come and say to the men who sacrificed, give me meat for roasting. And to the priest, he says, for he will not uh, take boiled meat from you. But he also wanted raw meat. So I believe they chose some of the meat that was already, you know, roasted. And it looked like a choice piece, a choice cut. And he took that. But listen to this. One commentary made a lot of sense here. They also chose out raw pieces, and they probably sold those. They probably made uh, profit. They probably made gain out of it. Now, in verse 15, here was the problem. They served themselves, the two sons. They served themselves before God. They were not waiting for the roasting or the boiling. They took the best cuts, the best meats. I want you to write this down. We studied it in time past, and I have to go back and look it up. Exodus 29, Leviticus chapter 7. The priests were to get the shoulder or to get the breast. And it's speaking back in Exodus and Leviticus about Aaron and his sons. Eli and his sons were getting the choice meat. If you may, they were getting the filet mignon. And they weren't getting the, uh, the butt roast, the shoulder roast, and such. They should have been content. They should have been content that the shoulder was there. They should have been content uh, that the breasts were given to them. But this is what happens when you're not born again of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. It was just a job for them. In verse 16, and if the man said to him, and so they were wanting to take meat from them, they should really burn the fat 
first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. These were men of God. This is Eli, the high priest. These were his sons that were supposed to follow a suit. Many times when the high priest would retire, one of the sons took over. Notice what's taking place here. There's no respect, listen to this, number one, for God. There's no respect uh, for man. They were bullies. That's what we uh, have been seeing about these guys. They were self-made priests. I want you to write down these three things that I learned years ago in shepherd school. In the ministry, you see these three types. Number one, uh, self-appointed. That's what these guys were. They appointed themselves. Uh, number two, man-appointed. Well, I think he's good candidate. I, I think this guy over here. And so the, the people gather them up. And then the leadership, you know, falls into play. But thirdly, God appointed. God appointed. I've shared with you many times. And I've shared with you the ordeal Mary and I went through uh, to get into the ministry. We didn't want it. We weren't looking for it. But it was God that kept calling, kept calling, and kept putting us in that place. Self-appointed, man-appointed will never work. You have to be God-appointed. In verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The sin of the young men. Hopney and Phineas. The sin of Eli's sons was great. Listen, before the Lord. And what did they cause others as they watched? Men abhorred the offerings of the Lord. Number one, they were in blatant sin. Who abhor the offering meant they scorned it. And here's the saddest part. They caused people to stumble. They caused people to stumble. I hope and pray we don't stumble others. We're supposed to be a salt and light, Jesus said. And obviously, we're not to scorn the Lord. We're never to take advantage of our call to ministry. And I don't have to remind you, as we've looked through some of our own history, in the last 30 plus years, people that have been exposed on television and such, televangelists and such, and then we hear of pastors in our own community and such, it happens, and it shouldn't happen. But it does happen. We would be better off not getting into ministry. I hope we encourage others by our walk, not discourage. Notice as he continues, he's not finished with them yet. He's going to get back to them. Now he speaks just a portion here of Samuel's childhood ministry. Such a difference from Eli's sons. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. Even as a child, wearing a linen ephod, the ephod that Hannah made for him. 
I want you to Google uh, this ephod. And put specifically uh, an ephod for the high priest in the Old Testament. And you'll see, if you get a colorized one, it was a beautiful, beautiful garment. And, you know, it, it was long dated. And it covered. And the priest was to wear that. And then there was a breastplate in the front. And I want you to see that uh, Hannah obviously taught her son well. He respected the office, and he was just a child. And here's these grown men. In verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and, and bring it to him year by year as she came up uh, to her, with her husband uh, to offer the yearly sacrifice, obviously there in Shiloh. And again, moms, imagine not seeing your son, but once a year. You have to trust God. You have to rely upon God. God put a call on his heart. I don't want you to look at Hannah any other way because she prayed for a long time. And God got a hold of her finally. And when she relinquished, give me a child, I'll give him back to you. That's what God wanted. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you take it up with the Lord. God had a purpose and a reason for Samuel. He was to be the first prophet of the Lord. I, I see nothing but beauty here. Look at verse 20. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his family. And they would say, the Lord give you descendants from his this woman and from the loan that was given to the Lord. The loan was Samuel. Then they would go to their own home. But they had to leave him behind. When I read this verse earlier this afternoon, I was thinking about Elkanah. Remember when she was crying and crying and she was uh, just bitterness of soul? And then he boasted, ain't I better than ten sons? Well, now he understands. Now he gathers it together. And the Lord visited Hannah. This is that answered prayer, church. And so... She conceived and bore three sons, two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. He grew before the Lord in stature. He grew before the Lord spiritually. He was a man of God. Man of God. Now we get back. We get back to Eli and his sons. A prophecy against Eli and his sons. In the house of Eli. And his descendants. Uh, the ramifications here are grand. I, I think sometimes we don't understand. When we do the blatant sin. When, when we do the willful sin. And we're warned of it. There's consequences and repercussions. And if we don't confess our sin. And if we don't take care of that sin. God's going to bring judgment. This, this went on for a while. These guys couldn't have been priests until they came to age. They have to be past their 30s. They're not youngsters anymore. Now, what's interesting here, we know that Samuel is to be the first prophet of God to the nation of Israel. But there were other prophets then, but not as grand as Samuel was going to be. And so here's a prophet that comes. We don't know who he is. And so verse 22, now Eli was very old 
and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. How far were they going? It's not even about the food, food issue anymore. It's not even about the sin of taking uh, the sacrifices of the Lord, and yet that was a sin. But now they were living immorally. They were in sexual sin. Now, mark down Exodus chapter 38. Uh, the women did the work at the tabernacle door. And I believe they forced the women. I believe in a sense they raped the women. Hey, we're the sons of the high priest. They used their office. Remember, they're not saved. They're not believers. And so Eli, by this time, he's old, but he's heard. But he still hasn't taken the charge. He forsook his own call. He forsook his parenting responsibilities. One of the qualifications of a leader in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is one who uh, runs his, his home well. It has to be done in the Lord. So he said to them, verse 23, Why do you do such things? For I hear of the evil dealings from the people. Eli was hearing this over and over and over. Where did Eli fail? Mark it. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, the proverb says, Train up a child in the ways of the Lord. When he is old, he is not going to depart. The word to train means to teach. Listen to this. The word to train means to discipline. Obviously, he didn't teach them. Obviously, he did not discipline them. Do not slack in the area of being a disciplinarian in your home. Children are children. They don't know any better. If my dad would have let me do everything I wanted, you think I'd be alive today? You think you'd be alive? Somewhere we have to have a, a parent with gumption. And praise the Lord, either it's your mom or it's your dad. Now, when mom got a hold of us, it was usually a broom, and I enjoyed that. But when dad got a hold of you, you did not enjoy that. Discipline is so important. The proverb speaks volumes about discipline, discipline, discipline. And I, I know what they're teaching in the schools and such today. And, and this whole theory of time out. If, if my dad would have given me time out. Oh, oh, I don't know how to do cartwheels, but I would have done a few. Discipline. There has to be discipline. And I'm not telling you to spank them with your hand. I mean, get a hold of a, a piece of, you know, something that's like, well, the, one of my cousins had a, a spoon. I remember that. It was a wood spoon, and she wrote on it with a marking, wacko. And so she used to tell her son, go get the wacko. He knew exactly what it meant. And we were over there, oh, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the ways of the Lord. When he is old, he will not depart. Train him up, teach him. Train him up, disciple them, or discipline them. Eli's boys were the opposite. Verse 24, know my sons, for it's not good report that I hear from you. 
make the Lord's people to transgress. Sin in ministry causes others to fall. It's a, it's a blatant truth. It is so important uh, to live by the rules of God, not the rules of man, and not the rules of the flesh. In verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Well, God will intercede. That's who's going to intercede. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. This is radical. I made a prayer before I got into ministry because I saw the importance. I went to shepherd school and they taught us hard. And then we went to leadership training classes with Pastor Raw and with Pastor Xavier, and they taught us hard. We started with 85 uh, in, in the school of ministry, and when we concluded, there was 15 of us. And I can tell you today, those 15 are still in ministry. But they came at us hard, and that's good, and I appreciate it. And I used to go home and say, do they want us to quit? Do they want us to give up? They keep yelling at us. They keep screaming at us. And basically, they were weeding people out. And I made this prayer, Lord, I don't want to stumble anybody. If I'm not doing the right things in my marriage, if I'm not doing the right things as a father, if I'm not doing the right things in ministry, take me out. That's always been my prayer. And that should be your prayer. If you're in ministry, Lord, I need to be obedient. I need to be obedient again. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the responsibility of a husband, the responsibility of a dad, and then the responsibility of running your household. How do you expect to run the household of God? That's what Tim, Paul, said, Paul said to Timothy. In verse 26, and the child Samuel, listen, he grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Your testimony is going to precede you. Eli's sons failed their testimony. Their testimony was rotten. And here's Samuel. Even as a youngster, had a great testimony. He was, you know, worshiping the Lord. He was ministering. To the Lord. How can I minister to people. If I don't minister to the Lord first. And, and that was Samuel. That was Samuel. Verse 27. Then a man. This is that prophet. Then a man of God came to Eli. And said to him. Thus saith the Lord. Did I not clearly reveal myself. Uh, to the house uh, of your fathers. When they were in Egypt. And Pharaoh's house. He says, did I not choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, uh, to offer upon my altar, uh, to burn incense, and to wear uh, an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your fathers all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? And so whoever this prophet is, he's laying down the law. He's rebuking Eli for lack of parenting skills before God and before man. Not having responsibility in marriage and children and ministry. And yet God comes first. 
He's speaking about the prophecies that were back uh, in the great exodus as Aaron was called and his sons were called. And yet, who's the one that helped to build the golden calf? It was Aaron. Yet God forgave him. And I believe Aaron learned a, a, a hard lesson that day. And then later on, Miriam tries to take the charge over Moses and God gave her leprosy or gave her cancer. The Bible says not to touch God's anointed. Now, you don't go around as a pastor. Uh, do not touch God's anointed, please. That just doesn't go. Let God be your defense. Let God be uh, the one that called you, right? Look at verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifices? Now, the prophet is speaking, but he's speaking for the Lord. Why do you kick at my sacrifices? What were they doing? Taking the choice meats. And my offerings, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me. Listen to what it says. You honor your sons more than me. It's very difficult for some people to grasp and some people to understand. If you're called to ministry, God has a place for your family. God has a place for your wife. God has a place for your children. But you belong to the Lord. And until that gets straightened out, you're going to be like Eli the priest. He gave his sons everything. Notice, and you honor your sons more than me. And to make yourself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. The sons of Eli and Eli himself, they ate the choice meats. And then we read earlier at the temple, at the tabernacle, that is, they were taking uh, these women that were there for the work of the tabernacle and they were having sexual relationships with them. Now, when we get into 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about the temple prostitutes that were there for the temples uh, to the heathen pagans. But these women were not called to be prostitutes. These women were called to serve the Lord. These women were called there uh, to take care of the needs of the tabernacle and such. And so, see what they're doing here. It's an abomination unto the Lord when you think about it. In verse 30, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God said he would honor uh, the tribe of Levi. He would take care of the tribe of Levi. And he did. Who broke the promise? Not God. Eli and his sons broke the promise. Radical. Verse 33. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Judgment would come to these Levites on your own. Go back or go forward and study First uh, Samuel chapter 22. We'll get to that later. Many of the priests were destroyed. These were descendants of Eli and the descendants of Aaron. 
Now, verse 34, this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hopni and Phineas, in one day they shall die, both of them. I mean, that, that is cold. That is harsh. But let's go back and, and see what they did. They're lying with women, immorally. They're taking of the choice meats, the offerings that belong to the Lord. They were saying, I want what I'm supposed to get. God will get his second best. Ooh, be careful. Be careful. And we wonder why judgments came. In verse 34, And one day they shall die, both of them. Well, we're going to see Eli the priest. When he heard that they died, he died. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is uh, in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. The judgments of God are sure. This will come to pass and God will raise another one up. You know, there's this attitude sometimes where I can boast inside, in my mind, well, God has me here. I'm doing the work of God. And so, rightfully so. But then be careful when it goes to your head. Be careful when you become pompous over it. Be careful when uh, you begin to take some of the glory. And it easily happens. Oh, thank you for that sermon. Oh, oh, oh thank you for that counseling. And oh, thank you uh, for this. And oh, thank you for that. Be careful. Let it go. Just acknowledge it. Let it go. And I generally try to say, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. In verse 36, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. They will beg. This is the ancestors or the descendants later on. And they're going to be asking that high priest, put us back into ministry. You can't. God says to cut you off. And, and, you know, your forefathers did this. I mean, that's a radical judgment. It's a radical judgment. God judges, I'll tell you folks, and, and we think, you know, I, I, again, I am so thankful for the grace of God. But in the Old Testament, I wonder if anyone in this church today or myself were, would we still be here. God was harsh in the old days. Really harsh. They were begging to serve. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we're going to see Samuel's first prophecy. As a child prophet, think about that. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. He ministered to the Lord before Eli. He's a youngster. And the word of the Lord was rare. Listen to that. Scarce in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The translation of rare, uh, God's word was scarce. Why? Because of sin. It kind of reminds you of Josiah when he finally uh, finds the Old Testament law. In verse 2, and it came to pass at that time, while Eli, Eli was lying down at the place, and when his eyes had begun to grow uh, so dim that he could not see anymore, 
And so he, here's Eli the high priest. He's old in his age. His eyes are, are, are giving way. He's going blind, basically. And notice one of the positions of the, of the high priest and his sons. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, in Exodus chapter 27, the responsibilities of the high priest and the sons uh, uh, to keep the lamp going. They were to keep the lamp going. If you've never read the history of the Maccabean Wars and Judas Maccabeus, and you read of the revolts, and you read that the menorah never went out. A miracle of God. God kept the light going. Notice now. Their job was to keep the light going. In verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, here am I. And so he ran to Eli and he said, where am I? Here I am. Uh, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and, and he lied down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And so Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here am I. For you called me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know that the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Notice that it says here, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of God revealed to him. Samuel was a great boy, a youngster at heart. And he served the Lord. He was obedient. And he was ruled by obedience. Yet he did not know the Lord. That's what the scripture says. And it was not revealed to him yet. Now, I know that some young kids have had a personal relationship with God. But they're youngsters. And mom and dad have to stay on top of that. And make sure they're following suit. A lot of emotions run. They see other people. They see other kids. Other older kids. I'm not saying that kid can't be uh, saved. But let's make sure. Let's make sure long term. Let's make sure when they're adults. And, and it's the same. With, we've talked about water baptism. A lot of youngsters want to be water baptized. I'm not against that. But do you know the Lord? In verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here am I, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. <laughs> the light bulb finally went on uh, for Eli. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you again, that you must say, Speak, Lord. For your servant here. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. Now, the Bible just said Samuel doesn't know the Lord. But Samuel's very obedient to his peers. I know that Hannah taught him. Well, he's coming into that relationship. And I think it's beautiful when you begin to see that. He's obviously learning. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something. 
Now the Lord came and he stood and he called as other times. Verse 10. And Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something uh, in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears, it's gonna, they're going to tingle. Because judgment was going to come upon Eli, uh, the high priest, and his two sons. And then when we get to 1 Samuel 22, judgment on some of the descendants. And in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning this house or his house from beginning to end. The judgments that were spoken by the prophet earlier. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever uh, for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and did not restrain them. Eli refused to discipline his children. Or he figured they're too far gone. But my question is, what was he doing in the years that he should have been uh, disciplining uh, his sons and raising them in the ways of the Lord, training them uh, in the ways of the Lord? Notice verse 14. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned. Listen. Atonement for by sacrifice or offering forever. No atonement for them. This is radical. Uh, I'm going to give you a verse. You need to go home and study it. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. It's a, it's a very heavy verse. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And if you keep reading Hebrews chapter 10, it gets even deeper. I mean, this is rad when you think about it. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And yet the grace of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that is. But there's a time and a place when you've gone too far. There's a time and a place where God says enough. You know, I don't know the answer. I don't want to find out the answer. Because people say, well, I've gotten away with it this far. I'm going to get away with it again. Be careful. Be careful. When I was part of the grand jury years ago here in Cruces, I had never attended, and I was chosen. There was many of us, and they literally, I think I, if I remember correctly, they pick out 21 or 22, and then there's always a couple extra in case people uh, don't show or people get sick, and it's for a whole year. And we, we heard all kinds of cases. And, and our call was to find probable cause, that's all. We were not there for jury. We were not there as a judge. We were not there as a lawyer, nothing. We just had to find probable cause to send it to court. But I never forgot this one young man, about 21 years old. He made 10 runs from Juarez to Albuquerque with dope. And he did. He gave us the whole story. He did it because he was going to get married. And he wanted to have a little nest egg for him and his wife. And he says he prayed. And he told the Lord 10 times. I'm going to do it 10 times. 
He did at 11. Hung himself. But he wanted us not to find probable cause. That's crazy. I only did it one more time. You know, no wonder judges get mad. You felt like slapping them. Uh, in Jesus' name, right? Look at verse 15. So Samuel laid down his, uh, on, he laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said. I mean, he's just a kid. But I want you to see Eli. He knows something is up. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is it, the, the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please, do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me, of all the things that he said to you. And Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What could Eli the priest possibly say? He was busted and he knew it. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let him, uh, was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. I like that. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba uh, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Uh, he says, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Back up to verse 20. His testimony preceded him. Speaking about Samuel. He truly was a prophet of God. We now see the importance of Hannah giving up the child to the Lord. The key here is Samuel's obedience. Uh, the key here is Hannah's obedience. The key here is the lack of Eli's obedience and his son's obedience. Now what's interesting, we'll get to it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Samuel tells King Saul, to obey him, and he was supposed to destroy Agag, the king of the Amalekites, but he brought him back into the camp. And when we get there, you'll see that he brought him back almost like a trophy. And this is what Samuel said to Saul, to obey God is better than sacrifice. To obey God is better than sacrifice. We're going to study more on the life of Samuel, the prophet of God, to Israel. But before I leave here tonight, I need to just share from my heart, be very, very careful when you come to the area of willful sin. We are all guilty of it at one time or another. Yes, we are under grace. But be careful when we continue to willfully practice sin. Years back, 
there was a beautiful pastor and I knew him. And we would see him at conference and such. And he'd been around as long as I had, I guess, or maybe even more. And one thing led to another. And started getting involved with one of the women at the church. Naturally, he was called to the carpet and he had to step down. Then he divorced his wife. Then he eventually, I was told that he hooked back up with her. Recently, this has been going on for years now. Recently, I asked about him. They said, you didn't hear? As soon as I heard that, I know what's coming. That he had a heart attack and he died. He had a heart attack and he died. And I have to tell you, this guy was pretty healthy. But you don't cross God. By divorcing his wife, he dropped one of God's children. By selling off the ministry for that woman, he sold off God's people. He was called to that ministry. He had a flourishing ministry. And so, where does it happen? How does it happen? A little bit here, a little bit there. And before you know it, willful sin, continued willful sin, can turn into death. I hope and pray that he had the opportunity uh, to repent. And he could have very well. But look at all the blessings that he lost. Look at all the blessings that he lost. Now, I don't know if his wife, you know, walked away from the Lord. Sometimes that happens too. And so you cause others to stumble. I've seen here in this city, pastors here, that have abandoned their wives and left their ministries or kicked out of their ministries. I mean, we've seen enough in 33 years. And, and let's go across the nation. It happens and it should not. Let us take heed with the Old Testament's teaching and make application to the cross. Let's all stand well in with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for the book of 1 Samuel. There's so much uh, that we are going to learn, so much that we're going to be challenged by, uh, so much that we're going to be exhorted by. And, and Lord, thank you for the word of God that Isaiah says will not come back void. And if there's anybody here uh, this evening, listening to the teaching uh, here in person or or by the airways, or whatever it might be, or the CDs later, uh, we need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. If any of us are in that position of willful sin, uh, we need to stop it, and we need to repent of it, change the mind, change the heart, change the direction, and we need to get right with, with God. Jesus had this one thing against the church at Ephesus. After 40 years of ministry, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. And so, Father, we need to be like the prodigal son and come back to you, Lord. And so, Father, bless those that are, are hearing the study. Let there be application in our lives. In, in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we want to pray for the ladies as they're preparing for the weekend to go to their retreat. Bless them, anoint them, and use them for your glory. Uh, get them all up the hill safely and get them all home safely. 
And Lord, remind the husbands, just because they're gone, we still need to clean the house. All right? God bless you.